Morning Sermon Audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Many of you know that my wife and I have raised five children, five boys, and today they are aged in the range of 23 and 16. And over the years, we have gained some experience in parenting. Thankfully, we had mentors, we had those who encouraged us, and today we like to encourage those who are parents, especially parents of young children, um, so that they continue in everyday efforts, even if they may not see the fruit thereof just yet. Uh, One of the things we learned many years ago uh, was when we took our children to Tivoli. We had planned a wonderful day to take all five boys with us. We knew it would be a lot of fun in Tivoli. Uh, All of you know where Tivoli is, right? And you know what it's about. And we had another family from the church. They had two girls. And we planned this day that we would spend in Tivoli all day long so that our children could have a great time. Well, one of our sons decided that that day he just wouldn't have a good attitude. And no matter how many rides he went on, no matter what we fed him, he just decided today was not going to be his day. Well, I had to get down to his level, I had to look him in the eye, and I had to warn him, look, son, I won't say his name, (laughs) if you don't change your attitude, we're going to leave this place and go home immediately. Well, one more ride and he didn't change his attitude. And so what was I to do as a parent who had just warned him that we would leave had a family that was with us too. They had planned the whole day in Tivoli as well. Well, we left. Yes, I couldn't, uh, you know, indicate to my children that the warnings I make are empty. We had to go since I warned them. And we learned that lesson that day, never take your kids to Tivoli. Uh, No, no. (laughs) We learned that you have to keep your word, so be careful what you warn and be careful what you say, right? And uh, I'm sure all of you have had parents, maybe some of you have had good parents, but isn't it true that good parents always want good things for their children? Why do we plan a day at the zoo? Or why do we decide to spend some of our savings and our money and go to Disneyland with the children? Because we like it when our children are having a good time, right parents? Right? We want good things for our children. And the thing is that young children often don't appreciate the sacrifices their parents have made and the things that they have planned for them. Instead of appreciating, they'll whine about the heat, right? Or else there's this thing about their outfit, their buttons not matching, and then they get all focused on that and they they miss out on all the animals at the zoo, right? Or they decide, you know what, I would rather go home. Well, children should learn to be happy with the decisions and the plans the parents make for them, because then their parents will be happy. And what will their parents do? They'll plan more fun things for them, right? Someone ought to tell the kid, you know, well, actually, the kids are here today, right? So kids, are you listening? Appreciate all the wonderful things that your parents do for you, because guess what they're going to do? They're going to plan even more fun things for you. That's how good parents are. The funny thing is, we as children of God oftentimes don't appreciate all the wonderful things that God has done for us. Like spoiled children, 
we don't understand why there are certain restrictions or why we can't go places or why we can't do certain things, and we forget to say thank you for all of the wonderful things that He has done for us because the Lord wants us to enjoy to the fullest the abundant life that He has given us. And unfortunately, we don't appreciate how good He is. You know, when children don't understand what their parents are doing or why they have certain restrictions, all they need to do is simply trust that, well, they have my good in mind, so there's got to be some good reason for it, right? But as a two-year-old or three-year-old, we just don't understand why we can't have that third popsicle, right? See, some people see God as a hindrance to our happiness. But tell me, friends, do parents ever say, oh, look, Jimmy, he loves pets. Let's make sure he never goes to the zoo. No, parents never say that. Some people think God doesn't really care about us. But do parents ever say, oh, look, Johnny's climbing that tree. Let's watch and see if he falls and hurts himself. No, they tell him to climb down from the tree. Some people don't trust God's wisdom. But do good parents let their children play with medicine bottles and fire? No. So when we don't understand how good God is, we still have to say thank you and still appreciate how wonderful He is and then just trust Him that some of the things He's chosen for us or some of the plans He's made for us is actually for our good. And so we really ought to learn how to appreciate that this God we serve, that is our Heavenly Father, is good and marvelous. He's great and wonderful. He is the Lord our God. And when we worship Him, when we give Him thanks, then we are fulfilling His greatest plan for us. And when we share about the joy that we have with others, then we're also fulfilling His plan for us. And that's what I find interesting about Psalm 96, is it truly is a good summary of what God desires from His people. And if we are pleased to give God what He desires, then He is also pleased to give us what we desire. Psalm 96, if you'll turn with me and read through that again with me. Because today, as we look closely at it, I hope you'll see, that in essence, the two main purposes for our lives. This is, in essence, what our lives should be about and which will cause us to be fully satisfied in Him and Him to be satisfied in us. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise His name, proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him, strength and glory are in His sanctuary. The Lord is great and most worthy of praise. And the psalm here calls us as the Lord's worshipers simply to sing and to proclaim and to declare His salvation and His glory among the nations. Now, the words of this song were sung when David brought back the Ark of the Covenant. That's why you'll find it also in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. The Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the Philistines, but David the king had defeated the Philistines. And so this ark that contained the tablets of Moses and Aaron's rod that budded was back now in Israel's hands. But David had placed it in the home of someone called Obed-Edom, temporarily. 
And David brought it back to Jerusalem, where he had prepared a tent for it, and he had planned a great celebration. So he instructs Asaph. Now, Asaph was his uh, main worship leader. He instructed Asaph, who's a singer, a musician, and a songwriter, to sing this song of thanksgiving. In fact, Psalm 105 and Psalm 96 can be found in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And so this song was especially appropriate for that time of when they would rejoice, when they would celebrate, when they would give thanks, when they would praise and worship the Lord. Now, we sing usually about the things that make us emotional and excited, don't we? I'm sure that if you've been watching any of the World Cup, you've noticed that in the stadium, people sing, right? Why? Because they're emotional and they're excited, right? When you sing the national anthem, it's hard not to get emotional. You get proud when you hear your national anthem. When you hear a fight song to boost your morale and to raise our hopes of winning, right? And then when you have won, you sing a victory song to keep rehashing the fact that, yes, you won. And in 92, Denmark won the European Cup, right? Back in 92, yes, we still remember that day. We sing love songs to make us yearn for the appreci and, and appreciate the one we love. Well, this psalmist is calling on all to sing to the Lord to show how excited, how elated, how pleased, how amazed that we are about the Lord. And he says to declare the things that um, the Lord has done to proclaim His salvation. Why do we why to do that? Well, because we also proclaim the things we really believe in. Think about how someone who hears about the government, uh, a new policy from the government that they disagree with. Do they just sit quietly? No, they get up and they proclaim, this is not fair, this is unjust, right? Or if you see uh, refugees being harassed or people being ignored and you're strongly enough outraged, you speak out against the injustice. Well, if you really believe that God's salvation is worth proclaiming, then you will proclaim it. God's deeds, the way He brought His people to a land of promise and how He granted them victory over their enemies, these were all great reasons to proclaim the Lord's salvation. David's strength over the Philistines was not his own strength, and he knew that. He always asked the Lord for wisdom, should I go up against the Philistines? And the Lord would not only say, yes, go up against them, for I will give them into your hands, but He would also say, here's how to do it. So David knew as well that the one who should receive the credit the one who should be proclaimed is the Lord. And, and His nature, His character, and His deeds make Him worthy of such songs, such proclamations, such declarations. Why? Because He is a great God, and unlike any idols, He is the Creator. He's a great King over His realm who rules with splendor and majesty, and He is holy and beautiful, one who dwells among His people. So, this is a call to us that one of our most primary purposes in our lives is to worship the Lord. What does it mean to worship? I think of three things at least, and I, I love to lead worship. I love being a worshiper. Oftentimes, I'll teach workshops on worship leading, and I see at least three things that worship is. Worship is, first of all, recognizing or acknowledging God's worth. How do I know that? Because the word worship actually comes from worth-ship. Acknowledging God's worth. The New Testament word for worship would indicate a bowing down in reverence. You know, when you pay homage to someone, recognizing, you're my Lord, I'm the servant. And the Lord's greatness, since He is the creator of all that exists, makes Him worthy of such reverence. And so when we worship, what we're doing is we're articulating the truth about God's greatness. We can do so in a song, and we can do so by simply stating it, by simply proclaiming it. 
We ascribe worth to God because He deserves our worship. We're called to worship the Lord, not because He's up there feeling unappreciated and no one looks to Him. Or um, We worship Him because He is great and He deserves great praise. See, if it were you or I that were asking or calling upon people to worship us, then what they would say would be really flattery or cause us to become proud. Right? Because we're just mere human beings. We have certain limitations. We're just frail. We're only temporary, but not God. See, when we ascribe glory to the Lord, He still falls, our glory, our, our, what we ascribe still falls short of who He actually is. So no matter how much we try to express about Him, His greatness and glory actually deserves far more. So He doesn't get flattered by what we, when we say He's a great and wonderful God, because He is. It'd be like someone who is perfectly capable of walking, and you say, wow, you walk an amazingly nice gait. Well, I'm just walking, right? There's nothing flattering about that. So in our song, sometimes we express how difficult it is, really, to ascribe everything we want to ascribe to God. Take Charles Wesley, for example. He says, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, because I only have one tongue, and that's not enough. If only I had a thousand or Isaac Watts, who says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Or take Frederick Lehman, who writes, could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? Right? So in other words, if we could just fill the oceans with ink, and all of us could have a pen, and then all of us begin to write the love of God. And then he says, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could this scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. You see how all we can do in our expression is really say how limited we are because He's worthy of so much more. So worship is simply ascribing or recognizing, acknowledging that God is great, acknowledging His worth. And worship, as we see in this psalm, is also remembering God's deeds, because not only did God create the heavens and the earth, He also completed or is, is in, in the process of completing His plan of redeeming mankind. Man who was sin and, uh, sinful and lost, He has from the early days already begun to save each of us through His plan that began to unfold over the years. The Israelites have many examples in their history of deliverance, the exodus from Egypt, the provision of manna from heaven, the military battles, and therefore Israel was also given certain ceremonies to remind them of those deeds. And today the, the, the uh, communion ceremony that we celebrate re replaces the Passover to remind us of the great salvation that we received in Christ Jesus, the one we just sang about, that Christ died on the cross for our sins. And so, through the, our songs, we remember God's deeds, especially His salvation. We remember the blessings we could never have imagined, the comfort we've experienced when we've been in uh, times of difficulty, the forgiveness that has cleared our guilty conscience, the eternal inheritance that awaits us in heaven, all of these things we've sung about also here in church. And it needs to be sung and shouted and declared because all of those deeds are marvelous. If we stop singing, then it's because we've lost the wonder of our salvation, that we're no longer amazed anymore about what God has done. 
you know, like we don't speak so highly anymore of flying anymore, right? Because we get in a plane, it's a small tube, and yet we don't realize we're 38,000 feet in the air in a metal tube, living and breathing and eating and sleeping, and then transport, I don't know how many time zones across the earth, and we arrive there, and suddenly we're in a different part of the world. Happens every day. We're not amazed by it anymore. We turn on the water taps in our home. We drink from it. Nothing amazing about that, but that's because we've lost the wonder. We, we, don't, we haven't lived in a day when you had to dig your own well, when you had to purify that water, when you had to go outside for, for running. You didn't have running water, right? So when you lose the wonder of things, you forget to sing about them and praise them. And let us not forget the deeds of the Lord. The third thing that worship is, not only is it remember, remembering, or sorry, um, recognizing His greatness, but also uh, remembering His deeds, it is also responding to God's presence, because God dwells among His people in His holy place, in His sanctuary. God is spirit, so in the past, sometimes He would manifest Himself in ways that are perceptible to the five senses. Think of all those occasions in the Bible where the Israelites, as they wandered in the desert, He was a cloud of fire by night, a pillar. He was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, when he was on Mount Sinai. All of Mount Sinai was veiled in smoke because the Lord descended in fire and the mountain trembled. At Pentecost, when the Lord came upon His people in the Spirit, then people could see flames of fire on their heads. So these are all visible, audible ways that God appears, and people are in awe. But God today lives by His Spirit in you and me, and He's gathered when we're gathered together. So He doesn't have to show up in a way that's perceptible by our five senses. He shows up in our spirit, and if our spirits are tuned to Him, then we'll recognize that God is present in this place. And that's the thing, we just have to tune in our spirit because it's through our spirit that we'll perceive His presence. He is present in the praises of His people when we gather, when we gather in His name, when we commune with Him in prayer and the reading of His Word, He is here in our midst. When we hear testimony of His work in someone's life, then we're more acutely aware of His presence. Yes, God is omnipresent, but we need our spirits in tuned so that we can respond to His presence because He can be worshipped in any place. Now, some places to us can be more uh, meaningful because there we truly felt like we met with the Lord. My hope is, of course, that every Sunday that you come to worship here, you feel like, I've met with the Lord today. I've heard His Word. I've sung the songs. I know the Lord was here. Uh, some years ago, some of you remember me telling the story of when I took my son to Chicago. That Sunday, I went to church. It was simply in an auditorium of a high school, but I will never forget that auditorium and that high school because in that moment when I especially needed to hear from the Lord, He was assuring me that my son would be okay. And the song we sang that He is the great I am was a special assurance to me that I felt so near to the Lord that that place will always be special to me. And this place, Christuskirchen, hopefully is special to many of you because this is where you heard the Word of God preached. This is where you worshiped. This is where things happen and life was transformed. But God is everywhere, but worship is then responding then to His presence. And yes, the Lord is great and worthy of praise, so I will worship Him and thereby fulfill one of God's main purposes for my existence. You, O Lord, are great. You have done great things, and I am in awe of your greatness. And that's essentially what I see Psalm 96, 1 through 6 being. But what is this second purpose that we have? 
Well, you can read along with me as well as, he, as the psalmist continues in verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His truth. What is this psalmist calling on the worshipers of the Lord to do? He's calling on them to be the ones to proclaim it among the nations as well. That people from all nations and tribes and tongues should ascribe to the Lord the glory and strength due His name, because that is God's ultimate purpose. That in the end, if you read Revelation, you'll see that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue are gathered around the throne to worship the Lord. And God has always intended that He be worshiped by all peoples everywhere. You know that all of creation reflects God's glory in some way or another, because they've been made to do that. And you and I as human beings, we're special in God's creation because He's created us specially to reflect His character in a special way. We are His crowning glory invested with His image. Now, animals are governed by the instincts that they've been given, but you and I as human beings were designed and made so that the Holy Spirit would govern us. We're not like the animals. The animals behave exactly according to the instinct that God has placed in them, okay? So do not say that mankind, when mankind behaves badly, is behaving like an animal. As Major Ian Thomas says, that that's an insult to the animal kingdom, okay? The animals behave however they behave in accordance with the instinct that they're endowed with. They know how to reproduce. They know how to care for their young. They know how to protect themselves and feed themselves. But you and I, as mankind were designed to be governed by the Holy Spirit. But when we sinned, when Adam and Eve went against God's law, then mankind was marred by this sin, and mankind behaves badly because he is sinful. And that's why God had to redeem us, because mankind in his sin will choose not to glorify God. Ungodliness and unrighteousness in mankind causes us to suppress the truth by our wickedness, because sin has darkened our foolish hearts. Even though God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly visible to mankind, as Romans says, that we neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. So, you and I will still, through our bodies, display God's glory. You know, the things that we involuntarily do in our body, it all demonstrates that God is an amazing designer. But it is still up to us in our decision to say, Lord, I will glorify you with my will as well. I will choose to give you credit. I will choose to worship you. I will choose to thank you. As human beings, we have that choice. We're designed for worship, and we will only be fully satisfied when we do that for which we've been designed, and that is the worship of the true God who created us. And now God has asked us, the worshipers, to be the ones to tell the non-worshipers about His salvation. He's always had a plan to save people from their sin and to regenerate them into worshipers, and throughout history, He has used a variety of people. 
Abraham first, then through Abraham's descendant Jacob, then through Jacob's descendant David, and then through David, Jesus. And then as Jesus was revealed, the time is now coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So that is what God is building. He's building a, he's gathering together people who will worship Him from all the ends of the earth. And He's using the worshipers to bring the good news to all the ends of the earth. And friends, that is essentially what Psalm 96 is calling us to do so that we can enjoy our life to the fullest, to do that which we've been designed for. Psalm 96 calls upon us who are God's people to go all over the world, across the generations, to, and calling them to become worshipers as well. So these are the two main purposes, worship the Lord, and how do you do that? Acknowledge His worth, remember His deeds, respond in awe to His presence, and then proclaim to the nations that the Lord reigns, because as it says, He will soon come and He will judge the wicked and the evil. Judgment is on its way, friends. We who've responded to the call and been transformed and are worshipers today, we will not be judged at the judgment. We have passed from death to life, Jesus promised. But God will judge justly one day all those who are still in sin, and they will have to pay for their sin, and the wages of sin is death. After the first death comes the judgment, and all who are judged as sinful will experience the second death. So I ask you today, do you want to enjoy life to the fullest? I'm assuming you'll say yes. Do you really want to experience pleasure that God has planned for you? I'm assuming you'll say yes. Then please God by being a faithful worshiper and a faithful worshiper who tells others about the joy that can be found in His salvation. How do you spend your day? To what extent do you acknowledge that God is great? To what extent do you remember His deeds? Or to what extent are you in awe of His presence? I ask you, of the songs that you sing, the things that you say, what do those songs and things say about God? Of the things that you do, to what extent are they a reflection of God's character? Are you demonstrating his character quality through your life? Does what you say and do please God and cause Him to bless you so that He can then unveil even greater things He has in store for you? Worship the Lord, make Him known to all people, because that's what He wants from our lives. Let us pray. Our God in heaven, even as we consider Your Word, we reflect upon all the wonderful things that You've done. We recognize that You are a good, good Father. You have made us, we are your children, and we do want to please you and enjoy life to its fullest. And so, Lord, I just pray that through these words we've heard today that we'll be encouraged to focus on just those two things, to worship you and to proclaim your deeds among all peoples. Help us to be faithful, Lord, in uh, being good disciples who learn and grow and understand more of you so that we can worship you more uh, truthfully and in spirit. And help us also, Lord, to be um, mindful that others around us are still lost, that they still need to know you because they will be judged one day. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www. 
fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash fibc cph. Thank you for listening.